You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. We're in part four of our series, Built to Last, and we've been in Matthew chapter 16 going through the series, Matthew 16, and it's a conversation between Jesus and his closest followers, his disciples. And here's what it says in verse 13. Jesus came uh, to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, his followers, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, what do you say? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter spoke up, and he answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. It's that last verse we're going to focus on today. And the message title, if you're taking notes, is don't forget your keys. Don't forget your keys. I asked the first service, who tends to forget their keys? And somebody shouted louder than praise and worship with this one. Like, like yes, I do. Like, it was, it was like, I forget my keys. Okay, who in this service forgets your keys? You, not, you don't have to celebrate it. Uh, you forget your keys. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do this. Uh, if you did not forget your keys, to hold them up. If you would just take your keys out. There's a reason I'm doing this. If you have your keys with you, take those keys out. Uh, and, and, and just, just give them a little jingle. Just, just let me know you got your keys. Uh, that is not an invitation to do that during worship. We're not this keys are not the new tambourine. <laughs> uh, but here, let me, let me ask you this. I've got a little contest for you today. Uh, who has the most keys? Here's how we're going to find out who has the most keys in the room. Uh, the record first service was 16. Now I have 10 keys and I'm not going to ask you, listen, here are the directions first. Someone got super excited about that. Here's the thing. Don't count key fobs or anything extra like passes or any of that stuff on your keys. How many actual keys do you have on your key ring? I have 10. We're going to start with 10. If you have 10 or more, raise your hand. Oh, I already got like one of the most. Okay, so, so keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. If you have 11 or more, keep it up. If you have 10, drop your hand down like me. Okay. Uh, how many is it just, we got to raise it high, raise it high. Who, who we got? We got two, three. Okay. Four in the back. Okay. So I feel like an auctioneer. Give me five. Give me five. Okay. If you've got 12, keep them up. Okay. we got 12. We got two up here. Uh, oh, one more in the back. Keep it. I still can see. Uh, 13. Keep, 13. Do we have 13? How many keys do you have, Doug? Okay. I'm just going to go into 19 because that'll be a lot quicker. Does anybody have more than 19? <laughs> Wow. Okay, so let me just say, uh, for any chiropractors in the room, you may need to work with Doug, because uh, he's got, night, like, there's something's going to be, he's going to be leaning a little bit. Okay, here, let me help you with this. Uh, can, I, can I have, Mark, could you take this to Doug? Uh, we've got, um, this, I don't know if this helps, but this is an ice, ice cream gift card uh, from Old Creamery. <laughs> Because here's what I know, here's what I know, uh, if you, uh, congratulations on 19 Keys. <laughs> 
It's not often we get to celebrate that fact, but uh, here's what I know. Uh, usually, if you've got a lot of keys, you also may use your wallet as a filing cabinet. Uh, and so, 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 so you may just, you know, take, feel free to use that gift card. All right. Uh, we are excited to discover the keys we have in Jesus. Here's what Jesus told his church. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We've talked about over the last few weeks, first, what the church is. The church is those called out to assemble together. Week one was about foundations. To be built to last, our lives, not just the church. The church is built on the foundation of Jesus. For the church to be the church, we have to be built on something that lasts, something that's eternal. That's Jesus. And, and that's where we start. But the church is not an organization only. It's a group of people that have been called out and called together. That means that we can build our families, our lives, our, our, our future, our hope, everything, our relationships, our households. We can build our lives on the same foundation that's the only foundation that can last. What do you build your, your business on in a way that builds integrity into it? You build on Jesus. What, how do you build a strong and healthy God-honoring marriage? You build on Jesus. How do you raise your kids after the things of God? You build on Jesus. The foundation of Jesus is the only foundation that causes things to last and ultimately to impact eternity. Listen, number two is the second thing we looked at week two was about we are called to assemble together. We need each other, and we assemble to seek God. We assemble to go after God, and we assemble to grow together. Jesus said, I'm building my church. That means that the church isn't staying stagnant, staying the way it is, but it's continually growing. God, in fact, Jesus only said he would build one thing in the world, and it was the church, his people. Jesus builds people. He builds people after the things of God. Last week, we looked at how Jesus builds right in front of the gates of hell, and he pointed to what was a natural called by that culture in Caesarea Philippi, the gates of Hades. He, he, he brought his disciples and revealed who he was right in front of the darkest place in that culture, and yet Jesus is still overcoming in the worst of times and the best of times. The church is still destined to overcome because the gates of hell will not prevail, and that means you you will overcome with Jesus because you are a part of the church. And that's the destiny, the future of the church. Last week we looked at how, how just like in the days of Noah, that God has a purpose to prepare his people like he prepared Noah. When a flood was coming on the earth and there was judgment coming on the world, God prepared a people for rescue. And he does the same today for the church. But today we're going to look at this last part because it's the keys that you've been given that tells us how Jesus builds his church. It's not just that he builds, that's what we've established, and, and what we build on has to be him, but, but how he builds is through the keys that he's placed in your life. I'm amazed by this because Jesus takes a group of people that if you and I were to leave the most important business on planet earth to, to give the most important message that human ears have ever heard to, the message of the gospel, I probably would have picked a more qualified bunch. Jesus takes, half of them are fishermen. That was their qualification for turning the world upside down for Jesus. Some of them were fishermen. One guy was a, he was, he was, he was our comparison would be an anti-government revolutionary hippie. A zealot. And then right next to him, he calls Matthew, who's an IRS agent. Like, put those together. He's a tax collector. And he puts those two together, and he puts a group together that is, is going to be sent out into the world to do the most important work that human beings have ever engaged in to bring the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world. And he commissions a group of people that were far from perfect. In fact, they were often very flawed, 
Many times immature in the way they approach things. How did they, how did they deal with their issues? Well, often they argued over who was the greatest. Jesus drops a bombshell one day and says, one of you is going to betray me. And we think that Judas is over there with somebody tied to the railroad tracks, twisting his mustache. But they don't see it. In fact, they turn every time, read in your Bible, it turns into a conversation over who's the greatest. Because I'm sure it went like this. Well, I couldn't possibly betray Jesus. And there began to be a fight amongst them. That group, that imperfect group, got filled with the Holy Spirit and launched into the greatest mission that human beings have ever been a part of. And yet, he, it's the very people that he said, I'm giving you the keys. And any parents, when you gave those keys to your kids that first day, you were terrified. It was scary because you're entrusting something to them. You're giving them something. It's the same picture that Jesus has here. He says, I'm giving you the keys not even to the car, but the kingdom. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. Here's the idea. I'm giving you the keys and responsibility. Keys give us three things. I've taught, I taught our church this before. Keys give us access. You and I have access to the fullness of the kingdom of God through Jesus. Everything that heaven has is yours through him. There's three things that this conversation tells us. First, the most important thing we'll ever know or have revealed to us is who Jesus is. The second important thing is what that truth does for us personally as it transforms us into who Jesus has created us to be. He goes from Simon to Peter and what took him from being a reed, that's what Simon means, to a rock or a piece of the rock, which is Peter, what changed? There was the revelation of Jesus. When you discover who he is, you discover who you were born to be. And that changes you from the inside out. Do you know that Jesus does not give us his word and give us truth from scripture and the revelation of the Holy Spirit to make us spiritually smart, to make us spiritually proud? Because that's what knowledge does. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge is good, but it's knowledge applied that changes my life. And he transforms Peter but the third thing is we have to discover what we have. Peter had to know, you've got the keys. You've got the keys. Anybody have keys that you, like right now, if you were to check your key ring, you could look at some keys that you have no idea what they go to. You probably have a junk drawer, I do too, where in that junk drawer are some keys. And you've just kept the keys in case you need them. You don't know what they go to. You will probably never use these keys. But you don't know what they are. Do you know that it's, 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 in the discovery of what we have in Christ that we find out what we can do. If you don't know what you have, you don't know what you can do. And Jesus commissions the disciples. He gives them the keys, which to me is mind-boggling. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's to me the spiritual equivalent of taking an unprepared teenager that's still in process and saying, here's the keys. But that's what he did for us. He gave us the keys to the greatest thing, the kingdom of heaven. And let's unpack this because here's, what, here's how he builds. To give in the Greek means literally to deliver to, to entrust, to give a gift, to commit to the charge of anyone, to reveal, to teach, to appoint, and to commission. So here's the idea. Keys give you access. Maybe when you start a new job, you get a key for that that, that facility that you're working at. And that key gives you access to the different parts of that facility. Well, when you've been given the keys of the kingdom, you have access to the things of God that you didn't have before apart from Jesus. You have access. You also have authority. 
When you're in a position, depending on your title, your role, your responsibility, your, your, your job description, you have authority to access certain parts of the building that you wouldn't have had otherwise. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm giving you access to me, access to heaven, access to the things of God, and I'm also giving you authority. And we'll describe what that looks like in a minute. The third thing is that he gives us responsibility. How many of you had the dad talk when you gave your kids the keys of the car? You tried to terrify them as much as you could, like, like give them the talk. Because here's the thing. You and I have been given a responsibility. In fact, this is the sobering side of this responsibility. Jesus commissions his church, and he says, what you bind, what you lose. What do those words mean? I had a conversation with somebody at the end of first service. Those words are thrown around in the church all the time. And honestly, most of the time, we don't even know what we're saying. In fact, let me read this from the Amplified Bible. Can we put that on the screen? Uh, I don't have, oh yeah, Matthew 16, 19. Let's put it in the Amplified Bible. I will give you the keys of the authority of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind. And here's what that word means in the Greek language. Bind means to forbid, to declare improper or unlawful. In other words, access denied. If, if, the, if, if the kingdom he's describing is a house and you have the keys to the entryway, it's to shut the door and say, you can't enter. Whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. That's actually the Greek tense of that phrase. So it's not just that we, we do something and then it happens in heaven, but it's happened in heaven and so we respond on earth. Okay, let me, let me keep reading that. And whatever you loose, here's what loose means, to permit or declare lawful. That's to open the door. On earth will have already been loosed in heaven. So here's the picture. When you were given the keys to the kingdom, you were given access to heaven, access to the things of God, a relationship with Jesus. You were given authority through the name of Jesus to shut the door on some things and to open doors on other things. Now, can I just make this a big picture for a second? Can you imagine what religion does with those keys where it shuts the door on people that need Jesus? That people don't hear the good news of Jesus because we've decided that they don't belong and we shut the door. God forgive us. What are we, let's just make it personal, because as a parent you have keys to permit or to say access denied. I don't care what the world says your kids need. What does heaven say your family needs? Well, I just want to be their friend. I'm going to preach that message but you have keys to shut the door on the wrong thing. Well, I just feel like my kids need to grow up and experience everything. Listen, the world tries to bring kids into encounters with things they're not ready for at the wrong age. And it's your responsibility as their parent to cover, to protect, and to open the door to the right things and to bring heaven in. Because how do we know what, what are we supposed to shut the door to? What are we supposed to open the door to? Well, let me ask you, what does heaven look like? Is there fear? Is there shame? Is there addiction? Is there brokenness like we see in the world through sin? Is there that in heaven? No. And so when we pray, we discover what the word of God says, the truth of God, and then we say, I'm shutting the door to the wrong thing. Let me just ask you, let's make it personal. What are you permitting in your areas of responsibility? Maybe it's in your marriage. What are you permitting that you should shut the door to? And what are you shutting the door to that you should make room for? 
Many of you are leaders in here, in, in your family, in business, and in our community. Can I ask you, what are you opening the door to that you should shut it to? And what are you shutting off that you should open your life to and those that you're responsible for. Here's what I found. People who lead often find there's things that they'd rather not deal with. And they go, well, it's just a little problem. But I can tell you, this is not a prophecy. This is a certainty. There's some things in your life that you go, oh, this is just small. <laughs> if I ignore it, it'll go away. No, no, anything you don't deal with when it's small gets bigger. Shut the door. Access denied. Devil, you can't have my family. You can't have my mind. You can't have my integrity. You can't have my mornings and my evenings. You can't have those things that I've opened the door to the enemy to. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you have the keys. Some of us are waiting for God to change things, and we forget that he gave some of us the keys to the very breakthrough we're asking him to do. Oh, church, I... I <laughs> you ha that's an amazing level of authorization that if I'm honest I would go Jesus are you sure you want to give me the keys <laughs> are you sure Hosea's 4 6 says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge what you don't know can't hurt you right no that's not true do you know what you have in Jesus John 8 32 says you will know the truth and the truth will make you free so knowing what you have, knowing what keys you've been given, know what you have authority, responsibility, and access to in Christ affects the way you live your life. And I, it, let me just tell you, church, it's time to get your keys back. It's time to get your keys back. Whenever you lose your keys in your house, what do you need to do to find them? You retrace your steps. <laughs> and you go back to the place you left them and laid them aside. And as the church, we need to go back to what Jesus gave us. Go back to the authority, the name, the, all of that. Do you know what the church is to be? So, so God's put people, and I'm going to use Nick as an example. Nick is like the best prayer I, I know. Like he's just, a, I don't know if prayer is a word. But I'm just going to use it. He's a really good prayer. Like he's just a great prayer. Lots of us, we're like, Nick, pray for me. You just do such a good job as a prayer. <laughs> and you know, God's given Nick keys. But the role that Nick has and the calling Nick has and the calling for so many in this room is that God's given us keys not to go, look at my keys, church. Look at, oh, I got my keys in my back pocket. I almost lost my keys. <laughs> look at my keys. Look at how I can pray. I don't know. That's not, I'm, are you with me? Look at how spiritual I am. Look at how I can worship. Look, no, the role of the keys is to duplicate the keys so that you can get your own keys. There's two ways to get a duplicate key. You can go to Walmart or a grocery store and find a key cutting machine. And my experience has been nine out of 10 keys, while it's cheap, while it's convenient, while it's easy, most of those keys don't work. And keys have to be tested. And if I go get a cheap copy of a key, it may not work. You know what I'm talking about, the key vending machines, you just stick your key in and it's like pops out a key and it doesn't work at all. And, and it only costs you four bucks, but you get what you pay for. But if you go to an expert, a locksmith, they know how to cut a key. And that's what the church is to be. That's the role of pastors and leaders is to cut keys for the church so that you can do the same stuff too. So that when your family is hurting, you know how to go to heaven. 
When you're walking through hell, you know how to bring heaven down. When, you, when, you, when you're going through something, you have the keys of faith and worship and prayer. And we're going to look at those in a second. But here's the thing. You've been given the keys that are meant to be utilized. And we come together and listen, there's just some things you can't. I, I'm so thankful for TikTok ministry. But, <laughs> but there's some places you only get copies that don't work comparing yourself to another person you can't get the keys you need from social media from comparing yourself and how you're a parent to somebody else's a parent no what do you need to do you got to get in contact with some people I like to surround myself with people in my life I've got mentors in my life where I'm getting keys all the time from them and that's that's what the church is to be for each other so here's the keys. Let me go through these really quick. Number one is you have the key of prayer. None of these are going to surprise you, but here's, here's what the keys are. Number one is the key of prayer. I think it's the most important key. Without it, none of the other keys work. Key of prayer is essential. Here's why. You have access to heaven. Now, now here's why. I think if I asked most Christians, should you pray, most people would say, absolutely, I should pray. If we were honest, how often consistently or how significant a place of priority in our lives we place prayer, many times it's far below where we think it should be or would even want it to be. As a pastor, I've been in ministry now, it's going to be 20 years soon, in ministry in some capacity, and here's what I found. People, there's lots of things church, churches get excited about, but you have a prayer meeting and it's like pulling teeth sometimes. Not, not you, the first service. Because I think sometimes, here's what happens, here's what happens. It's easy to go to Nick because he's a good prayer. But we think, oh man, I know how messed up I am. Can I talk to God like that? And the enemy comes along with shame and says, do you really belong? Can you approach God with just the fact that you just argued with your wife on the way to church? Can, can, you, can you approach God, a holy God, with the past that you have and the message you've made and the choices you've made? But here's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. New King James says time of trouble. Here's, here's, here's what I found. It's the, when I'm, Having a good day and when I'm having a bad day, I need God. When I'm on the mountain, when I'm in the valley, I need God. <laughs> when I feel blessed and when I don't, I need God. When, you're, when you've fallen, when you've failed, when you've sinned, don't run from God. Run to him. What does he say? Come boldly before the throne of grace. What does the enemy do? What does shame do? What does condemnation do? It says run from God. Run from him. And it tries to put a wedge between you and God. Instead, running to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help. When do you go to God? When you need it. <laughs> Which the truth is, it's all of us. We all need God. James chapter 4 tells us this, that people fight and argue and strive. You desire, but you don't have what you want. So you're even willing to kill for it. Now, some of you are like, I wouldn't kill. But you know what gossiping about somebody is? It's you attacking and trying to destroy their character. That's a good sermon. I should preach that. It says you covet, you're jealous for, you want it. 
But you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. But here's the problem, he says, you don't have because you don't ask God. What if we would stop letting prayer be the last resort and it became our first response? What if instead of the spare tire, it was the steering wheel? What if it was what set the course, set the direction? It's where we started with God. That's why as a church, we have two focused seasons of prayer and fasting to say we're going to, as a church, refocus in prayer. You have the keys. Number two is the key of praise and worship. I've already told you so many times, I can't sing. I wish I could. But here's what I am. I'm a worshiper. Do you know what worship is? It's not the music before the message. Let's get pumped up so we hear a message. It's not like we don't know what else to do to fill a service, so let's do some music. (laughs) Praise and worship is our response to the worth of God. Well, I really don't like this song. At risk of offending you, well, it was for him anyway. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I got two people. Um, And here's what worship is. It's my response to the worth of God. I've had moments in my life where, man, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't even know how to pray for the situation. Things were so chaotic and so difficult and so heavy that I didn't even know how to pray. But here's what I learned. I learned the secret of worship, that when I worshiped, I grew and filled my life with the presence of God. Mary said it this way, my soul magnifies the Lord. What does praise do? Well, I think praise is the opposite of complaining. Anybody can react to how they feel and what they're going through. That's complaining. The praise is a recognition of gratitude and the worth of God. Worship is a response to God. It's us honoring God. And I've found that what I honor, I bring more of into my life. What I honor, what I make room for, here's how the Bible says it, Psalm 22.3, you are holy enthroned upon the praise of Israel. You're enthroned. King James says you inhabit. He's enthroned. When, when you worship, when you praise, and listen, that doesn't mean you have to always feel like doing it. And it's not just about a song, by the way. But worship is me presenting my heart to God. Listen, I can sing a song and not worship. He, 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 God sent the prophets to Israel and one of the confrontations he had with the religious crowd is he said, they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Worship is when I get back to the foundation of a heart returned to God. Say, God, you own it all. You have my whole life and I'm giving it to you. Do you know what? God can't help himself but show up into that kind of environment. Why do we worship as the church? Because he fills the room. He inhabits the praise of his people. He moves mountains on our behalf. He rescues prodigals. He restores marriages. He heals bodies. He sets minds free. He rescues, redeems, restores, and worships, creates the environment, sets the table, and invites the presence of God into our situation. You are holy enthroned. Uh, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter his gates. It's the starting point with Thanksgiving. I thought Thanksgiving's when we have turkey. (laughs) Into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. You know what the enemy wants you to do? Focus only on what's wrong, what's not happening, what didn't work out. 
Are you hearing me? Why does he do that? Why would he do that? Because he knows the power of your worship. Because it invites God into your situation. Number three is you have the key of faith. You have the key of faith. Matthew 17, the disciples came to Jesus one day privately and they had tried to cast a demon out of a, a, a poor traumatized child, oppressed child. And their history had been they had always seen success doing that very same thing because Jesus sent them to do it. But on this day, they could not do it. And so they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus set this boy free. And then the next conversation, the disciples come to him privately and say, hey, why couldn't we do it? So Jesus said, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing, hear this last phrase, nothing will be impossible for you. What's faith? Faith is not just what I believe about God. It's my action responding to what I believe about God. So it's not just a statement of faith. We have that as a church. Here's the things we believe about Jesus, the Bible, man in response, what sin is, all those things, we, heaven and hell, all of that. But when we, when we stop there, Faith is what we believe about God, but it's, it's not enough. Because here's the thing. Faith is trust and confidence in who he is. It's my trust. Like some of us are trying to find the faith meter. Like where's my faith meter? Do I have enough faith today? <laughs> but it's just simply trust. And it's expectation. If I believe nothing's impossible like we sang today, then how do I expect him to answer prayer? How do I expect God to move? Faith is an anticipation, it's an expectation, but faith is also action corresponding to what I believe. If I believe that he heals the sick, I'll pray for the sick. If I believe that he provides, I'll be generous because I won't worry about what's coming because I know he's my source. If I, if I believe that God wants to rescue the lost, if I really believe that, I'll share my faith. Like there's action corresponding to what I believe. If I believe God answers prayer, I'll pray. So, so here's how James said it, James 2.7, uh, Faith by itself, if it doesn't have action or works, is dead. So if I tell you, I believe that I am a cake baker. I am a cake baker. Some of you would ask, what kind of cakes have you made? That's a terrible question. Because <laughs> I haven't made any cakes. Well, I believe I'm a cake baker, but if I don't have action, you probably after a while would think, you don't really, you're not really a cake baker. Okay. You get the point. Ephesians 2, 6, or 2, 8, excuse me, says, For it is by grace you've been saved. Through faith, it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So faith itself is a gift. Not by your works or your actions only. So, so what saves us isn't we weren't good enough to get to heaven, all of that, so that no one can boast. So, so that's, that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus right there. I did not one thing to earn my salvation. But does that mean that there isn't needing to be action corresponding to what I believe? The very next verse tells us that's not the case. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do, do good things for God, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, so he saves us not by our own efforts, not by our own actions. He saves us by faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for us and receiving the gift of God. But here's the next thing. Jesus saving me changes me to be able to live for him in the world and impact the world for him. So he's got stuff for you and I to do. And he's already prepared for it. He's already made a way for it. Number four is you have the key of forgiveness. You have the key of forgiveness. In fact, the other time that Jesus made that statement to Peter and to the church had to do with directly after that talked about them extending and withholding forgiveness. 
And I'm just going to tell you, it's not a true question. Should you forgive? (laughs) Should we forgive? Should we withhold forgiveness or should we give forgiveness? Well, here's how we know we should give forgiveness. God forgave me. He forgave you. And, and, And he forgave us on our worst days. He forgave us when we were running from him. He forgave us when we made every choice but him. He loved us anyway, and he offered us grace. Forgiveness sets us free. Do you know what forgiveness does when you use the key of forgiveness to release somebody else who's hurt you or left you or talked about you? Do you know what that does? They disappointed you. Here's what forgiveness does. It releases them, and it releases you. It does not justify what they did. Do you know when God forgave you, he didn't say, yeah, your sin's okay. He didn't justify our sin. Our sin is why he died on the cross, Jesus. Our sin is what separated us from God. Our sin cost the Son of God his very life on the cross. He didn't go, oh, you're okay. That's no big deal. He didn't justify sin, but you know what he did? He justified sinners. He made them right with himself. He forgave us when we didn't deserve it. And that's what he calls us to do as the church. He says, forgive. Here's what happens when we don't forgive. Can I tell you what happens? Matthew, uh, I think it's 17, Jesus told a parable. No, 18, sorry. You can read it on your own, but here's, here's what, let me give you the gist of it. There's a king, and there's a man who owes an incredible debt to that king. This man owes a debt he can never repay in his entire life. And one day, that king extends forgiveness to him and says, the debt is clear, you're set free. The next thing this man does is go find somebody who owes him 50 bucks and says, you better pay up. And when the king hears of this, he goes, oh, no, (laughs) that's not going to slide. I forgave you much. How can you not forgive much? And it says he delivers. In this parable, he delivers the man to the tormentors. Why are so many people tormented? I believe it has a lot to do with not using the key of forgiveness. The enemy torments us in our thoughts, our life. Listen, I've shared testimonies. During Freedom Track, last two years ago, I shared about how, how when you forgive, many times that releases healing into your life because withholding something is also pushing away something. And we go, well, if I forgive, then I'm saying what they did was okay. No, you're not, but you're setting yourself free in the process. I shared that, and somebody from our church came up after and said, that exact thing happened to me. God told me to forgive somebody, and I did. Can I just tell you? That the key of forgiveness, and and right after that, they were healed. The key of forgiveness releases and sets free. Come on, church. Okay. Number five, last one. Last one, you have the key of spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter four. He gave gifts to the church. There's, There's three times in the New Testament that he specifically lists gifts. All three have some similarities, specifically prophecy, the prophetic gifts, but, but there's a lot of different gifts described, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts of Christ. Here's Ephesians 4, this is one of those lists. Verse 7, it says, but to each one of us, grace was given. Grace is what we never deserved. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, let's jump ahead to verse 11. He himself, Jesus, gave some apostles, those sent by Jesus on assignment, some prophets, those hear from God and reveal the word of the Lord, some evangelists, those who share the good news, some pastors, those who shepherd, and some teachers, those who equip with the knowledge of the word of God. So he mentions five things, five gifts, and, and, and here's the way this works. These exist for this purpose, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. Well, I'm not a saint. 
Here's the problem. We think a saint is a, a halo over your head on a stained glass window. Do you know what a saint is? A believer in Jesus. Paul writes the Corinthian church, says, you're saints. Called saints. The Corinthians were like the most messed up group of all the people Paul wrote to. But they were set apart for Jesus. They belonged to Jesus. And you're a saint. So that means that these gifts are in the church to equip you, to cut some keys, to equip you for life, to equip you in the things of God. And here's what they do. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. What's ministry? It's not just standing on a platform or singing a song or any of that stuff. Ministry is serving, making a difference for the building up of the body of Christ. Here's how he builds his church. He equips the saints. God wants to equip you. Christianity is not a spectator sport. And we are equipped. God gives, gives every single one of us the keys to do what we're created to do, to live out our purpose for God. And he says he does this until we all come to the unity of the faith. Can I just tell you we have not arrived there? Just check Facebook. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or mature man. That means that the measure of the church is not our denominations, it's not our, our programs. The measure of the church is Jesus. And he's the head. And we're growing up into the head. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until the church looks like Jesus, we still have room to grow. Jump down to verse 16. We're almost done. Jason, if you want to come up. From whom the whole body... The church is a body. The church is not just an organization. It's actually an organism. It's, it's a body of people. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself for love. So here's, here's, he says a lot there to basically say this. All of us are called to belong in the body. All of us have something to bring to the body. To receive from the body. If you walked in here today, and I'm sorry for the gross picture, but if you walked in here today and there was a severed finger on the carpet, just before lunch, I'm just throwing that image in your head, just before you go out to eat, um, and you walked in the room and there was a finger just, just sitting there on the floor, the first thing would be, ew. The second thing is, how useless is that finger that's sitting by itself? It's, why is a finger not useful when it's disconnected from a body? Because it's lifeless. It only has life and purpose connected to the whole of the body. Now, every part of the body shares the same DNA. And all of us have the same spiritual DNA as sons and daughters of God, adopted into the family. I can meet a Christian from the other side of the world, and it's like meeting family. Because we have the same spiritual DNA. We have different callings. Everyone in here has a different calling, has a different thing that we're called to do, carry out. We all have different gifts. My gifts, your gifts are not more valuable or less valuable than somebody else's. All of our gifts are needed. All of us are needed in the body. The body grows by what every part of the body contributes. And as we stay connected to Jesus, to the head, I'll tell you one last story before we go. We'll be out here in just a moment. The story of Ananias illustrates all of this because here's what Ananias does. Ananias is not an apostle. 
He's not, an, he's not a prophet. He's not a pastor, a teacher, any of those things. He's not a missionary. Ananias is, by church tradition, he's a cobbler. And, and he makes things. And one day, he's just on his job. He's just at home. He's working, whatever he's doing. And God speaks to him. And, and God comes to Ananias and calls his name. And, God, and Ananias goes, yes, Lord, what is it? And I imagine that moment, he's like, God's speaking to me. Like, God, what are you going to give me? What are you going to bless me with? What are you going to pour into my life? And here's what God says. Have you heard of a guy named Saul? Yeah, I've heard of Saul. Is it, is it that Saul? You know who God's talking about? He's talking about a man who just days before made his life's mission to destroy the church. Believed he was, he was honoring God by destroying the church. Religion always kills. And he tries to kill and murder Christians, put him in prison. He's on his way to do that, and he has an encounter with Jesus that leaves him not only totally impacted, but he's actually blinded too by the experience. And it's like scales are over his eyes, and he has to be led by hand to a house on a place called State, or Straight Street, not State Street, <laughs> Straight Street. <laughs> like, I had no idea Saul of Tarsus was in town. Um, and Saul is in that place praying. He's crying out to God, God, heal me. And, and God comes to Ananias, and here's what he says. Ananias, there's a man named Saul, and I want you to go to him. Are you sure, God? Do you have anything easier for me? Do you have anything that's more convenient? He says, I want you to go to him, that, and, and I want you to tell him what he's going to do and what he's going to suffer for my namesake. That here's what he tells him. He says, I want you to lay hands on him, pray for him, that he might receive his sight. And Ananias obeys God. And he goes to this place, just like God told him, and there he finds a man who's already praying. And sometimes we pray thinking, well, God, here's how you're supposed to answer that prayer. Like, God, here's what I need. Would you just zap me and make it happen? And here's what I found. While that's entirely possible, here's how God answered Saul's prayer and healed Saul. God sent an Ananias. Could God have healed Saul without Ananias? Yes. But he's created us to be a body that needs one another. Do you know what he does to bring your marriage together? Is he places in your spouse the keys that you need and places in you the keys that they need. He does the same in the church. There's in this room keys that you need right now, the keys to your breakthrough. And somebody in this room may have those. And guess what? You have the keys somebody else needs too. In your city group, there's an Ananias and there's a Saul. And I'm, many times, I'm Saul. God, I need you. I need your help. And God brings in Ananias. What if the reason you're in that group, and what if the reason you're in that place, and you're in that family, and you're in that environment, in that workplace, is because God gave you a key, and you're an Ananias, and somebody else needs what you have. Ananias lays his hands on Saul, prays for him, and Saul, like scales from his eyes, begins to see. The key to Saul seeing, and one day becoming the Apostle Paul 
was a man named Ananias who was willing to go to him, place his hands and pray for him. He could have said, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a super apostle. I'm not one of those people. No, no. You know what he does? He's just a man who's heard from God. And he's a man with keys. And you have keys right now, church. You have keys. Would you stand to your feet? This is a, I gave out gift cards today. I found out that in the United States, there is an estimated every year $21 billion, with a B, of unspent gift cards. Some are like, pass them my way. Now, some of that's because they get lost. Some of that's because somebody bought you a gift card to a place you will never go, and you're nice, and you smile, and you say thank you, but you know you're not going to go there. But you know what that means? There's unfulfilled, unaccessed potential. And I think it is. Most of us just lose them, forget about them. We lose our keys. We forget what we have. Do you know in Jesus, you have something far greater? You have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You're an Ananias. And even when you feel like a Saul, because all of us are there at times, God's placed next to us. And in our lives, the very keys that we need. There is a key to your breakthrough, and it's, it may just be in this room. There is a key to the breakthrough in your marriage that's in this room. There is a key to, the, to, to everything changing in North Iowa. And I believe that God's already put some keys, and he's placed them in this room. Do you know what you have? <laughs> You've got the keys. Would you do this? We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.